Here's what Luke 126-48 says. In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, therefore, uh, I don't know, all of a sudden I lost the line. Hold on here. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month, and with her uh, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And the title of the message today is God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And Thanksgiving is over. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, anybody already threw all their leftovers? Yeah, we polished those off. The turkey's gone. Stuffing's gone. Um, it's, uh, it's history. No turkey sandwiches this week. Uh, but what for most kids anyway, now that Thanksgiving is over, the next thing is when do we open presents? I mean, I mean, when is this happening? Can I start opening them now? And I was thinking about presents. What's the deal with presents? I don't... Uh, so say, for example, you have something in your head you want. You want a new power drill. You want a new drill. And, and you have the money to go buy the drill. You could go down to the hardware store. You could identify the drill. You could buy the drill. And you could take it home feeling a sense of satisfaction. I have purchased the drill that I wanted. However, put that on a Christmas list and somebody else buys the drill and puts it in a box and wraps it up and puts it under a tree, you will spend a month. Just can't wait to open that drill. What it, there's something different now that it's wrapped up in a box. You open it up, it's the same drill. In fact, you might, you, if you are like most guys, you've got three of them already in your shop, but this one's new now, right? And, and there's something about opening the gifts. There's that on Christmas morning, or if you open them Christmas Eve, or I don't know when you do it, but there's something about opening it. There's the unknown. Is it the one? Is it not the one? There, I think there's also something about it that comes from the fact that somebody else thought to buy the thing, even if you put it on a list and gave them the stock number and the shelf it was on and the aisle it was on. Even still, they went and did it, and they packaged it up, and they, uh, or, or they ordered it online, or however they do it nowadays, right? But there's something, you open it up, and there's some excitement to it. So, and especially for kids, I mean, they get so excited, they're opening the presents, and, and, and there's this, this realization as you're opening the gifts, this, this frantic joy of what I've wanted is here. And there's a reason that we open gifts to celebrate Christmas, because a part of the reason behind that is to try and give ourselves through a habit together that sense 
of what it's supposed to be like when we recognize God is with us. It's that sense of that movement of joy, that sort of, where did that come from? Whammo, it's joy happens. And, and, and this is what we see coming from the scripture in Luke chapter 1, is a realization that through and in Jesus Christ, God with us, everyone who experiences this moment has that same kind of joy that you and I may only see once a year, when Christmas presents are open, and really to see it in its purest form, it's got to be a kid opening it. And once they hit a certain age, it doesn't even work anymore, does it? At a certain age, you can watch a kid opening, your jo- opening their present, and they are experiencing what we see in Mary, and what we see in Elizabeth, and what we see in John, is this joy inexpressible, God is with us. So our first uh, thing we want to think about is this, God with us brings joy. God with us brings joy. So Mary is a woman. She's unmarried. An angel, Gabriel, pretty important angel, pretty kind of a head honcho kind of guy, shows up and says, you will have a child and you are to give his name Jesus. The Holy Spirit will make you pregnant. You will have God dwelling in you as a child in your womb. And, and, he, and Mary sort of doesn't understand how this is possible. Normally you have to get married and then you uh, have to come together physically and then a person becomes pregnant. But in this case, God is saying, no, God himself will have the child in you and it will be God who will form in you. You will have Christ Jesus and he will be God with us. And Mary sort of under, not understanding how this is going to work. The angel even points out, look at Look at your relative Elizabeth. She's old as dirt. Well, I don't think Gabriel said that, but I mean, we all know what he meant. He said, look, she's, she is well beyond age of childbearing, and she is with child. God can do this. Now, Elizabeth's child is not the same as the child that Mary would carry. Elizabeth's child was the result of her marriage to her husband. And John would be born, the forerunner of Christ, the one who would prepare the way for Jesus. And so Mary believes what's going to happen and she is filled with joy. Look what happens when Mary visits Elizabeth. This is down in verse 39 of Luke chapter 1. In those days, Mary arose and she went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. So Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, and John, in her womb, leaped. I've never been pregnant. I don't know what it would be like to have a baby leap in me. Now, some of you may know what that's like. I know babies jostle around a bit. But this is something wholly different. This wasn't the normal routine baby stretching out a little bit. This was a, a, a leap of joy, and she identified it as such. And, and she even told Mary this, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So she was giving testimony to Mary. What is going on in you? God with us is so amazing that unborn babies are partying. This is a big deal. This is God with us brings great joy, brings unexpected joy, brings an experience of the favor of God. 
Elizabeth and John are rejoicing because God is near. Elizabeth and Mary are rejoicing because God is close by. He is nearby. He is, as the Bible describes, he is with us. Now, we have to understand that the book of Luke is not happening in isolation. The Bible is not uh, several different stories cobbled together in order to give us a lot of sort of fables that are to teach us a lesson. The Bible is one continuous story of God's plan to save sinners. And we have to recognize that the, this experience of Mary and Elizabeth and John, and as we get to in a few minutes, even Joseph, is not happening in isolation. This is happening as a continuation of the story that's been told since the book of Genesis. And this is a continuation of God's plan to redeem sinners. Why does this matter? Because we might falsely think that Mary and Elizabeth were just excited the way two young women would be excited who are pregnant together. They can't wait for their babies to be born. We're going to have play dates. We're going to go to the park and we're going to go to the water pad. And these boys are going to grow up and they're going to wrestle and they're going to learn to hunt and they're going to get into fights and they're going to fight over girls and, and, and you know, the normal things that, that boys do, right? This is not what's happening. Certainly they were excited the way any new mother would be excited, but that is the smallest, most insignificant portion of the joy that they are experiencing. This joy is coming from the fact that God himself is with us in a way that hasn't been experienced before. So what I want, I grabbed three examples from the Old Testament of God with us. And I want to show you how different this is. Now, we could have grabbed dozens and dozens of places where we see God in the Old Testament. I just grabbed three in particular. Why did I pick these three? Because I get to pick. If you want to pick, you can come do this, okay? But I get to pick. And I love these uh, three. Uh, so uh, that's my way of saying it was in some, what, some sense random, mostly just because I love these accounts. Exodus chapter 19, Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16, a description of God descending onto Mount Sinai. People of Israel are gathered around the mountain, and Moses is about ready to take himself a hike up onto Mount Sinai and want to read this description of God with us. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. That's very ominous. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, verse 18, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. What's a kiln? That's where you do your blacksmithing and your uh, setting of your ceramics. And they would build these fires and have bellows that they would pump to get the air going. And so uh, smoke and fire would be churning out of them. The best way to think of this for those of us in the Pacific Northwest are those fantastic videos of Mount St. Helens going off in 1980. You remember that? Some of us were around. So remember that just plume of ash churning out of Mount St. Helens. You can't remember. Google it while you're sitting here so you can get a picture of it, right? This is the description of Mount Sinai here. Just smoke like a furnace and 
fire and the people and the whole thing is trembling like an earthquake and Moses says hey let's go see God and the people are like uh, are you sure are you sure this is a good idea it looks like the mountain is going to explode verse 19 and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder imagine a volcano going off and the trumpet is loud enough to hear this is a loud trumpet Moses spoke, and God answered him from the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. That would be scary. So this is God with us. God coming down to the mountain in fire and power and glory and majesty because he needed the people of Israel to recognize God who is leading them out of Egypt to the promised land is a God of holiness righteousness and power this god is not to be messed around with this is a god worthy of our respect and even our fear let's turn over to exodus chapter 40 another uh, example in the people of israel of god with us exodus chapter 40 beginning verse 34 and this is what happened this is after they have put together the tabernacle so description of god with his people in the tabernacle If you remember, when the people of Israel left Exodus, during the day, God would lead them by a pillar of what? It's okay. Close, fires at night, cloud by day, fire at night. So there's a pillar of uh, cloud by day and uh, fire at night. And so this pillar, after they built a tabernacle, it would lead them out. And when it stopped, the cloud would descend on the tabernacle. Look at verse 34 of Exodus 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle the people of israel would set out but if the cloud was not taken up then they did not set out until the day it was taken up for the cloud of the lord was on the tabernacle by day and the fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of israel throughout all their journeys So now we have another picture of the presence of God with his people. But now where is the presence of God located? In the tabernacle. So if you wanted to go see the presence of God, you would just go into the tabernacle, right? Absolutely not. You would only go into the tabernacle, especially into the inner place of the tabernacle, if you were the high priest. And if you were the high priest on the appropriate day, and if you were on the high high priest on the appropriate day, having offered the appropriate offerings... So we have the power and glory of God, and now we have the power and glory of God's presence, but now a physical separation. The people could see the glory of God, the people could see the power of God, but there's a physical separation intended to communicate there's something between us. There's something between us that has to be navigated. And so God is with us, but but we still get a sense, well, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Okay, one last place, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. Elijah had gone on a hike, happened to be a 40-day hike, and he found himself on a mountain. My guess would be it would be Mount Sinai, but we don't know for sure. And God is going to show himself to Elijah. This is 1 Kings 19, beginning in verse 11. And he said, go out and stand in the mount before the Lord. And behold, 
the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the, excuse me, the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there a a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So here we have the power of God on display, but God's presence was revealed in this low whisper. So God had the power to bring the earthquake and and the wind that could break rocks. That's a pretty powerful wind. And he could bring the great fire. But God's presence was revealed in this low, this low whisper. And so you have all these things occurring throughout the Old Testament communicating to us sin has interrupted the relationship we have with God and we fail to recognize He is God. He is glorious and He is mighty and He is powerful. And for all of our yearnings maybe to want God with us, well, we see in the Old Testament when God shows up, He sort of freaks people out. And these are just three examples of many where when God showed up, people said, Wow. And at each of these occasions, we discover a very important thing, and it's this. God is with us, but immediately we recognize there's something between us. We can't relate to someone so glorious. We can't relate to him because there's a physical barrier. We can't relate to him because there is, there's a relational brokenness. And it's in the midst of this story that Gabriel shows up to Mary and says, God's going to be in your womb. Do you see how all of a sudden it's, oh, God is with us. God is going to be in our presence in a way we have never experienced before. And this is where the joy is coming from. This is no longer do we stand on the mountain and, and, and worry about whether or not we're going to wet ourselves in fear. No longer do we wonder if God is going to strike dead the priest because he didn't offer the appropriate offering. All of a sudden, God himself comes as a man and will be born among men and he will dwell with us. No more curtain, no more smoke and thunder. It's Jesus, God as man, to save us from our sins, to deal with the barrier that exists between us and God. Go back to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at Mary's song, often referred to as the Magnificat, in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. I'm going to go ahead and read it, because we have a little bit of time. I don't have to be done until December 25th. Mary said this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown great strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. 
So the song here from Mary is worship of God that says God is with us and God is with us in a unique way and he's with us in this way. He reverses our fortunes. With God not with us, we are left on our own, lost in our deadness, lost in our humble estate, lost in our uh, being destitute without God. And when God comes in and he is with us, he reverses everything. He now takes the humble and the lowly and the lost and the guilty and the shamed, and he lifts them up to the place of those who hang out with God. Those who have no need for God, as it, as the Bible describes here, who were rich in their own ways, not in God, but rich on their own, who have no need for God. Again, the fortunes are reversed. They get exactly what they want. Not God with us, but on your own. And now they find themselves in the humble estate. And so God shows up at the culmination of history and brings great joy because God, God reverses everything by joining us um, as a man. We become lifted up, not in our own regard, but lifted up in him because he saves us from our sins. God is with us as changes everything. God with us brings great joy. Now, um, there is great joy in Jesus coming, but we need to look at another angle of this. And we're going to look at Joseph over in Matthew chapter 1. God with us brings joy, but we also need to recognize this and pay attention to it because it's critically important. God with us also changes everything. So God with us brings joy, but it means if God is with us, nothing else will ever be the same again, and everything changes. And the question every single person has to answer in their own heart, are you okay with that? Because God with us brings us joy, but God with us changes everything. Are you okay with everything changing. You can turn over to Matthew chapter 1. We'll get there in just a moment. Anybody like taking pictures on their iPhone or on your Samsung or whatever device you have, your flip phone? Who has flip phones? Everybody loves taking pictures on their iPhones. We now take pictures of things we never thought we would take pictures of before. If you have a camera with film in it, you arrived here in a time machine probably, you would never take a picture of your meal because your, your roll of film only has 24 exposures. Or maybe if you bought the big one, maybe it has 30, 36 roll exposures on it, right? And you're not going to take a picture of your meal. But since you have a phone with 250 terabytes of data, you can take 100 pictures of your meal. And we would never have imagined this. We love taking pictures with our phone. We love taking pictures of where we've been and, and the people we're with. There's nothing wrong with this. Who hated this the most? Kodak. Kodak was behind the times. I, some of you may be not old enough to remember this phrase. Kodak in their advertising had this catchphrase. It was a Kodak moment, meaning a moment had to be good enough to actually use your film. Now, with your phone nowadays, every moment's a take a picture moment. You know, look, I opened the door, I'm headed to work. Hashtag employed. You know, I don't know what, how you do that. <laughs> But back then, you had to have a Kodak moment. Hey, let's take a picture. No, it's not quite special enough yet. I mean, it, it would use a whole exposure. And then you got to take it and get it developed. And, oh, there's all kinds of hassle. So what happened to Kodak? Something good happened for us. We get to take countless pictures of everything. We have uh, thousands and thousands of pictures. But it wasn't great for Kodak because everything changed. 
Everything changed. And the, and the similar thing we have to be confronted with with Christ. Jesus shows up. God is with us. Great. No, no you need to pay attention. Everything's going to change. Your old life, just like Kodak film, is now obsolete. And we need to realize God is with us. Are you willing to recognize your old life is obsolete? And now there's a new life coming. It's a life of great joy. It's a life of God with us, but it's not your old life. And we need to be aware of that. God with us rearranges our life, and we are confronted with the reality, as we're going to see in Joseph, we need to understand, are we okay with our life being rearranged by God with us? Look at Matthew 1, 18. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary was, had been betrothed, that is kind of engaged, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph, he was a just man, and he was unwilling to put her to shame. He resolved to divorce her quietly. So she's pregnant, but she's not pregnant because of her relationship with Joseph. He has to assume the worst. She must have had a relationship with another man and, and become pregnant. And so, therefore, he's going to set her aside. He's going to break off the engagement. But he's going to do so quietly, which is kind of him. Uh, but nonetheless, it's going to bring shame on him and shame on Mary at some point. There's no way to do these things totally unnoticed. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, that's a pretty light word. Could you imagine considered? He's not sitting at his table smoking a pipe. Hmm, I wonder what this is about. This guy was ruined. This guy was wrecked. Everything he had been thinking about was now done. And now he has to even wonder if he will ever even be able to marry himself because of his association with, a, with Mary, who has become pregnant outside of his marriage. While he was thinking about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So Mary is pregnant. And Joseph is going to do what normal people do when there is this kind of infidelity. And God comes to Joseph in a dream and said, normal isn't normal anymore. Now you need to recognize she is not pregnant because of infidelity. She is pre pregnant because God is with us. So therefore, Joseph, everything for you is about to change. Are you okay with it? You are going to marry a woman that everybody knows was pregnant before you got married. And you are going to raise a child who is God himself. Fathering is intimidating. If you've fathered, fathering God would be really intimidating. Son, you didn't do anything wrong again. Okay. I don't even know if you give him a gold star at that point. So the new normal for Joseph is to marry a pregnant woman, wait to come together with his wife until she has a son, and then raise his son as God with us, knowing he is going to save his people from their sins. 
Everything is going to change for Joseph. So he gets to be aware for the rest of his life, however long that is, we don't know when Joseph died, that he gets to have a day in and day out relationship with God himself. And his life will never be the same again. So it comes to a certain moment after that dream where he has to decide, do I want my life or do I want God with me? Because God with us changes everything. Look at Matthew 1, 21. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So now we see in Christ prophesied to Joseph that Jesus has come to remove the barrier between God and man. Jesus has come to live his life perfectly, die on the cross, pay for the sin of humankind so that we can now live God with us. No barrier, no priest needed other than God himself, Jesus. He is here to save us from our sins. And Joseph, you get to be a part of this, but it means your old life is going away. It means you don't get to decide where your life is going. It means God is going to decide where your life is going. He doesn't even know what's coming yet. A sudden relocation from Nazareth to Egypt. I don't even know if that's an upgrade. Nazareth isn't, wasn't great, but now he has to flee to Egypt. His life is, well, frankly, his life is forfeit. The last we hear of Joseph is when Jesus is 12 years old, and they're looking for him in Jerusalem. So the last thing we hear about Joseph is he lost his kid. They find him, and we never hear from Joseph again. The only thing we know about Joseph is when he was confronted with God with us and your life is gone that you were planning and now you will have the life of God with you, Joseph says, I'll take that life. I'll take a life of God with us, even though my life is gone. Look at John chapter 1, in verse 1 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was God. We're talking about Jesus here. Verse 14. And the word became flesh. This is Jesus. And he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. He made his place of residence among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God is with us, making his tabernacle among us again, but he is among us, and we can go among him. He became a man to be among us so that we could receive forgiveness of sin and commingle with God forever. Be with him forever. Not God of the exploding mountain, not uh, God of the fire and, and, the, and the earthquake. It's God with us because the barrier to relationship has been removed. Look at John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. Jesus says this, he's talking to his disciples, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, listen, for he dwells with you and will be where? In you. Listen, we have Old Testament God on Mount Sinai blowing the mountain up. We have Joseph saying, I will live God with us. I will raise him as my own son. And then it comes to you and I. It's not God just with us. It's God where? It's God in us. We become the tabernacle. 
Later, the Bible is going to refer to the Holy Spirit, Paul does in Romans, as the Spirit of Christ. In Corinthians, he's going to refer to us as the body of believers as the temple of the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ is in us. God is with us and in us. We are now his tabernacle and his temple. I might suggest we, among all people throughout history, are the most privileged to have God not just near us, not just up on a mountain, not just... Uh, playing games on our living room floor like Joseph did. It's God, his Holy Spirit, dwelling in us. But we have to recognize also that means everything changes. God with us brings us great joy. God with us changes everything. Three quick ideas, and we're going to close with this. God, by his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, tabernacles or indwells us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. That leaves us, should leave us anyway, in a place of great joy. But pay attention. Never leaves us nor forsakes us. Never leaves. Now, as Christians, we have been trained by good Sunday school teachers that we are thankful for, that God never leaves us. Yay. And then you grow up and you say, oh, he never leaves? Like, like never, because there's been a few things that maybe he shouldn't have been around for. Oh, no, he never leaves. So we say, oh, we want God with us most of the time. So what we do is in our own minds, we create, when is God with us? God is with us when I go to church. Then when I leave, God stays there and I'll go live my own life. Or some of us are a little more religious. No, God is with me when I'm at church and God is with me when I do my devotions. Hashtag love Jesus, picture of my mug coffee in my open Bible. I don't actually read that Bible. I read it on my phone, but I keep a paper one to get on my Instagram. Some of you go, Insta what? Google it. Google what? No, never mind. I can't, I, can't, I can't train you. I can't teach you everything. So we think, you know, I like the idea of God with me when I want him around. And no, 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 we don't understand. God changes everything. He tabernacles with us. So yes, that thing you did this week that you hope nobody knows about, he didn't punch out and go on break. God with us changes everything. Would you prefer the comfortable distance of the curtain of the Old Testament tabernacle or the comfortable distance of having a priest? Hey, say hi to God for me. Or do you want the way God actually is doing it, which is God in us and with us, and then recognize that changes everything. Wouldn't our life be different if every moment of our lives were lived with the realization God is with us? Another idea here I want us to think about. Some people think religious people have a monopoly on God, and God says, absolutely not. It's those who believe. God is with those who trust him. It's not religious people. It's People of faith who trust that what Jesus did on the cross was for them. And that when he rose from the dead, he gave us eternal life. We have God, not because we are religious. We have God because he is full of grace and mercy. He is full of forgiveness that he pours out on us over and over and over again. And we can trust him. Finally, let's keep Joseph in mind. We're going to close with this. Jesus did not arrive on planet Earth via Mary's womb in order to make your current life a little better. 
The life of God with us is our old life rearranged and actually obsolete. The new life is a life of joy of God with us. But are we ready to have our life rearranged? Because that's the only kind of life God with us is bringing. Is my life gone and now it's God with me and it's a rearranged life of putting him first, not me first. Saying no to sin and saying yes to the good things God has called us into. If we want that kind of joy, it's there for the taking. We can just trust Jesus. God with us brings great joy. But he changes everything. 